Welcome to the Sand Hills Media Ministry. We hope this production encourages and challenges you to live a more Christ-centered life. All right. Hey, good morning, and happy Mother's Day. I, uh, you know, I said happy Mother's Day to almost every woman I saw this morning, and I realized I can't tell if you're a mom or not, uh, so appreciate you bearing with me. I said uh, happy Mother's Day, I think, to a teenager this morning. I, you know, they look so old to me anymore, I can't, I can't tell. Uh, but anyway, so happy Mother's Day to everyone. Love Mother's Day. Uh, in fact, if you're sitting next to a mom or a mother of your children or just a mom in your world, uh, would you just lean over, give them a hug, and tell them you love them? That's awesome. Uh, I will tell you, just we were talking about the kids, uh, with those things, you only get so many of those in life, those hugs and loves for moms. So make sure you give uh, as many as you can. Some of you, like me, maybe, uh, your mom's already with Jesus, and so you're just uh, an attitude of thanksgiving. Just, Lord, thank you for the great mom that I had for the years that I did. Um, Also, too, you know, just a reminder as I was thinking about this. I know not every woman has children. Uh, Some of that's by choice, some's not by choice. Uh, That doesn't make you less than or broken or, you know, whatever. I mean, it doesn't, because I have seen... Women who don't have children, who still have that natural nurturing gift that God has given them, and they use that in the lives of the people around them. And so you still get to play that role in people. It's beautiful. Uh, so happy Mother's Day to everyone out there today, except for the guys. You don't get that. Um, all right. So uh, today we're going to be digging into 1 Samuel chapter 3. Now, one of the things you wrestle with as a teacher is like, all right, do I want to do a special message targeted towards mothers, fathers, Christmas, whatever it would be. Uh, Or in the context of what I'm already teaching, does this work so that I can make it fit? And for me today, I thought I'm going to stay with 1 Samuel 3 because I really believe that 1 Samuel chapter 3 is going to connect with this. And so as you go there to 1 Samuel 3, that's where we're going to be talking about Mother's Day in light of 1 Samuel 3. Uh, However, before I go forward, I do want to give you an update on the uh, Be Our Guest campaign that we're doing right now. So the Be Our Guest campaign was the idea that we're going to be redecorating the uh, auditorium here a little bit because we need to remember that when we bring our guests and visitors in here, um, it has fallen into some disrepair. That when you're a regular here, you just don't notice it anymore. But (laughs) when we bring our friends and guests into here or people visit for the first time, they're like, need some updating. You see the stains on the, the car carpet there and some of the chairs kind of falling apart and we just need to do some updates. Uh, so if you'd like to see what we're doing, we have a really raggedy chair up there, which is what's happening to all of them one by one. And then the new chair with the new carpet proposed there. And then for the rest of you, um, as a reminder, we're going to be redecorating the front of the stage, the back there, doing some paint on the walls and upgrading just some of the sound and lights, uh, that we've got in here. So Uh, What we need is we need people to pledge uh, for this. There's been a number of people doing that. Last week, when we came into this time, there were 50 pledges that had been made to our campaign. This week, we have 72 pledges that have been made. So thank you for those extra people that pledged. And uh, as of last week, between the pledges and money already given, we were at 40,000. This week, we're at about 53,000 is where we are now. So an increase of about 13,000 week over week. So praise the Lord there. All right, that's good. Amen. Amen. So our goal is 150,000, so just 97,000 more, and we're good to go. Sounds hard, but if we all chip in, it's not that big a deal. So I um, encourage you to give faithfully. We do believe that's a, a gospel-connected issue, as we'd like to make sure people have an uncomfortable environment to hear a word from the Lord. Speaking of which, let's hear a word from the Lord in 1 Samuel chapter 3. Now, 1 Samuel chapter 3, there's something I want to point out that I think is really pivotal here, and it ties in with Mother's Day. It really just ties in with parenting. But that is this, when the will of the Lord and the will of a godly mom connect with the will of a child, the world is changed. When the will of God and the will of a godly mom and the will of a child come together, the world is changed. 
Now, it's, everybody's got to work together in that plan. Um, and if that plan, not everybody's working together, things don't turn out like we would like. But what we're going to see today is, uh, in 1 Samuel 3, the, the fruit of the will of the mom, so to speak. Now, if you're newer with us and you haven't been reading, 1 Samuel chapters 1 and 2, you can actually catch up before the service is out. I mean, it's just, it's just short. So you got two chapters. But what you'll see in there is you see this beautiful woman uh, by the name of Hannah. And Hannah is uh, a woman. She's in a tough situation. She can't have kids. She feels broken, maybe judged by God, whatever. She's wrestling with that. Uh, and she, she has this prayer, and she makes this prayer. She says, God, if you will give me a son, I will dedicate him to you. That was her prayer. And uh, God answered that prayer. And then she had a son, and she did, in fact, dedicate that child uh, to the Lord. And so, uh, and that's Samuel. That's who we're going to find out about. And I love the role that she plays. So you have this faithful mom. She pledges to God. She's, I mean, she's genuinely a faithful woman of the Lord. Uh, and then God's will was in line with that. And now that she's dedicated him to the Lord. And now we're going to find out Samuel's will, how that ties into this whole thing. But I think this beautiful thing happens uh, when you see that going on, these wills kind of coming together, producing this wonderful thing. Um, and one of the things I was talking to our brother in here about was, I wonder what kind of ongoing role the mom played in his life as well. Because I would say to all of us here, many of us here would say that the biggest influence in your life, your spiritual life, was maybe your mom. Would anybody here say that? Your biggest influence in your spiritual life was your mom? Yeah. Yeah. So that, I think it's a very normal thing. Well, moms are the one that make you go, right, to church. So, uh, so anyway, now you're, you, you got this mom influence. But then I was thinking, you know, it didn't fade. Like, if, for those who don't know the story, she actually dedicated her child to the equivalent of the church. So she took the kid to church, donated him, like, here you go, here's my child, I promise. And then she leaves, and then Eli has to raise the kid, which is a weird thing, but it's what they did. So here's this kid growing up now in the context of the church. But I do think the mom played a continual role of encouragement. We know that annually they would visit, because they came to worship at Shiloh, which preceded Jerusalem as the place of worship. So they would come to Shiloh and um, worship, and she would bring to him provision, uh, she would bring him an outfit, um, and maybe some other stuff, I'm sure, too. But probably one thing for adult people, if you have adult kids, one of the things we love as parents who have adult children is we love to visit them, right? I don't, I don't know if they love to be visited, but I love to visit them. Uh, while we're there, we try to buy them stuff, so it incentivizes their desire for us to visit. Um, and so that's a good thing. And, uh, and I like, too, that, that um, so my son and daughter both have unique roles. Like, my daughter is a professional wedding planner. I don't normally like to visit her on her job. Uh, you know, she's let her do her thing. My son, however, uh, as I've shared in here unashamedly, he's a mechanic with NASCAR. And um, there's a race today in Darlington. And so I asked my wife this week ago, what would you like to do for Mother's Day? And she said, isn't there a race in Darlington? I was like, you're the best mom ever. You know, so I mean, we're like, this is great. So this is going to be a real short service today. Race starts at three. So um, I think we just close in prayer and get out of here. You know what I'm saying? I got racing. Uh, anyway, so there's, there's this beautiful role that they play. So my wife continues to encourage our kids. She prays for them, sends them scripture and stuff like that. Um, and I, I think we're going to see part of the fruit of what Hannah did in Samuel's life. All right. So first Samuel chapter three in verse one, um, let's talk about the will of the Lord. Let's look at that first, the will of the Lord. Uh, Verse one. Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days, and there was no frequent vision. 
All right, so Samuel's ministering uh, to the Lord in the presence of Eli. So he is in Shiloh at this place called the Tabernacle. It was a big tent set up where people would come to worship. It preceded the temple of God. Um, and the ark of God was there. And the idea is that historically, God would show up, and then through his high priest, Eli, uh, he would minister and, and give his word. Uh, but some things we do know. So first of all, the boy's in the presence of Eli. Now, Eli actually, at, at this point in his life, is playing the role of foster parent. So hey, if you've ever wondered as a foster parent, uh, are you in the Bible? You're in the Bible. So shout out to foster parents. Thanks for your job. Uh, so Eli's the foster parent raising this kid. But it does make this comment that the word of the Lord was rare in those days. Now, it was rare. And I suspect, and I don't know. I mean, some of this stuff is just conjecture because we're trying to draw from the scripture what's actually going on in the background. But I suspect it probably has something to do with the people, right? So the people are far from God. We know they're wrestling with uh, being faithful to the Lord. That's consistently been the case with God's people. Uh, but then there's something else going on in that Eli is the high priest and the two, seems like main priests, Hophni and Phinehas, his sons, are just corrupted. Hophni and Phinehas are thoroughly corrupted. Uh, and these are key leaders in God's, you know, I would say God's church. It's not really the church. It's tabernacle, maybe pre-church, or maybe we're post-tabernacle. I don't know, but one of the two. So they would minister there. But Eli, even though Eli seems to have been fairly faithful, has not been restraining his son's horrible activities. And so really he's culpable for what's going on. So it's like the word of the Lord is rare, but I wonder how much is connected to disobedience to the people and disobedience to his, his leaders, his religious leaders. It's just a, it's a bad situation all the way around. So the word of the Lord, I think, would be logically rare. Now, one of the things I think about, and this is for all of us as you read particularly narrative in scripture, or in this case, Old Testament narrative. And by that, I mean, you're reading a story in the Old Testament. The, the thing for me is I'm always trying to draw like connections. And I think that's how you read that is you go through there and you're like, okay, this doesn't say thus now, therefore you do. But what it does is it gives us principles that reveals a little bit about the Lord. And I think you can draw from this. And so I have these thoughts as I'm reading through. And I'm like, one of the things I would ask is, I wonder if you would say, the word of the Lord is rare in this day. This, that might be a good lunch question for you to talk about. Like, so it's here, the word of the Lord was rare in those days. Would we say that the, the word of the Lord is rare this day? I'd love to give you more time to think about that, but we can't because I got to keep going. But here's what I would say. I don't think it is. Uh, the reason being is the Bible is like in almost every language and it's almost everywhere. Now, it's not in every language, but it's almost in every language. And then if you think about churches, even in what we would call closed countries, that is those that are resistant uh, or even uh, harsh towards the gospel, like there's a lot of underground churches uh, all around the world. In, in our situation of free areas, there's churches everywhere. Um, and then you think about what radio and TV and the internet have allowed. I mean, the word of the Lord is out there. Now, I do think this though, somebody might say, well, what I'm thinking about that, what I'm thinking about is like a fresh word from the Lord. And that's where I would just say, just in case you're thinking that, let me just, let me just pause and say, if you want a fresh word from God, all you have to do is read the Bible. That's it. We're not, we're not waiting for new revelation. We have what has been given to us. And I would say this, this is not stale or out of date or irrelevant. And the Holy Spirit still speaks through the word today. And so I would just encourage you to, to go back to your Bibles. And I would just remind you of something else that we see in Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1 verses 1 and 2 says this. Long ago and at many times and in many ways. Maybe we could, is it up there? Okay, so, And in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things and through whom also he created the world. So that is, there's this way that he used to communicate in the old days through the prophets and the priests and all this kind of stuff. Uh, but nowadays... 
he is communicated to us through Jesus, his son. And then we have testimony about Jesus that was written for us uh, in this uh, book called the Bible. And so I think the word of the Lord is still fresh. I think it's still prolific. And so with that thought in mind, let's keep going forward. Uh, now verses two and three. And now at that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his own place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. All right, so this is a little bit of the setup for us. So Eli, he's getting older. He can't see real well. Now, he may be blind, or it may just be that his eyesight is horrible at this point, but maybe, maybe he can see just a little bit one way or the other. Uh, but this is the setup for us. This is what's going on. But the idea of the lamp burning, this comes from the book of Exodus. You know, in the book of Exodus, um, a command was given that in the tabernacle, the lamp should burn uh, from evening until morning. And so by the way this is phrased, it seems like probably this is early in the morning going on. It's early in the morning. You know, I don't know what time early in the morning would have been to them, but, but early in the morning, the lamp is still burning, has not yet gone out. And then the events that we're going to see are going to unfold for us. Now I'm going to read the event, which I love, and I'm not even going to lie. This is like one of my favorite things in all of 1 Samuel, this next story that we're going to see. And so I'm just going to read for you about five verses here. We'll go from four to nine and uh, just see what happens in this event. All right, beginning verse four. Then the Lord called Samuel, and he said, Here I am, and ran to Eli, and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call. Lie down again. And so he went, and he lay down. And the Lord called again, Samuel. And Samuel arose, and he went to Eli, and he said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call, my son. Lie down again. Now Samuel did not no, yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time. And he arose, and he went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go lie down, and if he calls you, you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went, and he lay down in his place. All right, so... This is really funny to me. The whole thing is funny. So let's, let's talk about the event. Let's get into the event. I wish at this point that we had TV or movie that had represented this scene well. It would be fun to show up here. So here's, here's what you got going on. So, and we don't know. We don't know how old Samuel is. Samuel's young. We just know that. He's a young guy. I don't know how young. I wish scripture was very specific. It's just not. So I don't know. In my head, 8, 9, 10, something like that. He's a young guy. He's a boy. So Samuel's laying in one place. Eli, old dude, laying in a different place. Samuel's laying And in the middle of the night, he hears Samuel. So he's like, oh, all right, I get it. So he gets up and he runs in there, goes to Eli, goes, all right, what do you need? And Eli's like, I don't, I don't need anything. What are you doing here? I didn't call you. Go back to bed. Samuel's like, okay. So Samuel goes, lays back again. He's laying there, falling asleep again. Then he hears, Samuel. He's like, oh my gosh. So he goes back in there, like, Eli, what, what do you want? Eli's like, I didn't call you. Go lay back down. Now at this point, Samuel's got to be like, what in the world is going on here? Like, I know the dude is old, but he can't even remember he just called me, right? Like, I gotta go into this guy all the time. Like, you know, and it, he's probably thinking, you know, like the guy's old, he can't see. He goes to the bathroom a lot. I probably gotta lead him there. You know, his dude's prostate's probably the size of a watermelon. Um, like, I gotta make sure he, he's taken care of. And then, so he's like, okay, forget, you know what? I'm just gonna go lay back down. So he goes, and he lays back down. He's trying to go to sleep. And then he hears Samuel. He's like, oh my gosh, what is going on with this dude? And of course he can't say that. So he comes in and says, 
You called? And then uh, Eli's like, oh, I did not. And now, so now they're both having a moment here. They both, I'm like, it's not written in scripture, but they're both really frustrated probably right now with one another. Because Samuel's like, old dude keeps calling me. Can't even remember he just called me. Probably time to retire. And then Eli's in here like, what is wrong with kids today? I mean, don't listen. What is he doing? Like, this kid's crazy. And so they're both having a moment. But in the midst of all of this, suddenly Eli thinks of something. You know, God used to speak to me and it caught me off guard, and I didn't see him, but he literally was speaking to me, and I wonder. And so he pauses, and he says, Samuel, I got an idea. Why don't you go lay back down? If you hear that voice again, say, speak, Lord, your servant is listening, and then just do whatever he says. And so Samuel's like, now, again, Samuel doesn't know the Lord. So Samuel's like, Okay, <laughs> what do you do with that? Like, you're being called by somebody you can't see, but he's here for you, you know, and like, okay. So he goes and he lays back down. So at this point now, you get to another fun part of the story. Uh, but before we jump into that, I don't know if you ever do this with scripture. Do you ever just look at scripture sometimes and say, why did God do it that way? Why would you do it that way? Why doesn't God just show up as, uh, we would call it a theophany, as, as like a person who embodies really the presence of God here on earth and just stand in front of Samuel and go, hey, Samuel, I got a word I want to speak to you. And then he would look up and see this dude talking to him and he'd be like, all right, dude, what's up? And then it would be like, oh, I'm God. And they'd have this conversation. Why doesn't he do that? Why the buildup? Why the three times? And then the fourth time is the Lord. Like, why do that? And so a couple things I was thinking about. First of all, God is a great storyteller. He's just a great storyteller. Like, would we think about this story this way today if he had just shown up and started talking to Samuel? Like, I don't think so. And if you read scripture, there are so many times when God does something, we would say, well, you didn't have to do that. You could just, like, like uh, Pastor Malcolm referenced last week, the burning bush of Moses. Like, will anybody who has ever read that story ever forget the burning bush of Moses that was not consumed by fire? God is just a great storyteller. And so if, if you were to ask God why he does, he's probably like, I just thought it'd be cool. You know, <laughs> like, awesome. I think it's cool too. So he does this thing. And then I'm thinking this too. Like God's about to share something with Samuel. If you're not familiar with the story, God's about to share something with Samuel about Eli. And I think probably also being set up here is this idea that God is saying something to Eli through this repetition. And what, he's, what Eli's coming to the uh, understanding of and what God is trying to communicate is, Eli, your time has passed. There's someone else who has taken your place. And I'm gonna show you what I'm gonna do through him. And so I think there's some of this going off where Eli is being brought along in this journey through the things that are going on there, uh, especially because what God's about to reveal to Samuel is the judgment he's pronounced on Eli. And this came from a prophet who showed up in chapter two, and nobody knows about this story. Nobody would know about this. So when Samuel knows about it, Eli will know that this is from the Lord. That's exactly what's going on here. Uh, so here we are now. Um, now we're going to talk about how the will of Eli uh, uh, or the will of Samuel ties into this, the will of the child. So look at verse 10. And the Lord came and he stood, calling as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, speak for your servant hears. Then the Lord said to Samuel, behold, I'm about to do a thing in Israel at which the two ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. On that day, I will fulfill against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. And I declare to him that I'm about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew, because his sons were blaspheming God and he did not restrain them. Therefore, I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. I mean, that is, that's, a harsh, that's a harsh judgment that God just gave there. I mean, just to 
reiterate, therefore I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. Now, the, the offense of Hophni and Phinehas is that they were blaspheming the Lord. Now, I don't know what you picture by way of blaspheming the Lord or how you would think you would do that. But in the case of Hophni and Phinehas, quite literally it was they were dishonoring the Lord in everything, uh, just the way they, that they were living. And what we might say is that, that through their actions and their lifestyle, they were blaspheming the Lord. Um, now, what makes it probably different between you and me uh, and how we might interact with the Lord is that they were, they were literally supposed to be representing the Lord. We talked about this uh, last week or a couple weeks ago when we were talking about Hophni and Phinehas, uh, that if you go to a bad church that has bad leadership, sinful leadership, you can go to another church, praise God. Uh, but in this case, you had one place to worship that was Shiloh. And when Shiloh was corrupted, your entire system of worship was corrupted. And so this was kind of a unique thing. And so that blasphemy is, is almost on a different level, if you will. So uh, a couple weeks ago when I was talking about this, um, one of you came up to me after the service. I forget who, I'm sorry. And, uh, and, and was really concerned. Like this idea that you've got these corrupt kids who God makes a comment, they're not worthy to be alive. And, um, and she was very concerned, do we ever get to the point where God would forsake us forever? Can we ever mess it up so bad in this life that there's no redemption left? So let's pause for a second. I'm going to come back to that idea. First, I want to go to Hebrews chapter 10, verses 26 through 27. Hebrews 10, 26 through 27 says, If we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. All right, so there, there is this understanding, at least in this case, that, that people who've received the word of the Lord, who continue to reject that, and in this case would die in that situation, like their destiny, it's over. Like there is no hope for them. But I do want to say this. If you ever feel like, well, then is that saying that there's no hope for people, for some people, uh, because they've rejected so severely that there's, they just can't be saved now? And the answer is no. <laughs> the answer is no. Like you can be saved at any moment if you love, if you, if you will, uh, love the Lord, if you'll put your faith in Christ. Uh, and so here's where I would go. Second Peter chapter three, verse nine. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. And so the idea is the reason that Christ has not returned yet, much to the chagrin of many of us, is because God is patiently waiting for people to turn to him. He's allowing his church to do his thing, the gospel to go forth, uh, for the church to do its work, uh, for the Holy Spirit to, to, to bring as many to the Lord as uh, God has willed, um, and then, then it's going to be over. So I would just say this, as long as somebody has breath, there is hope for them. Uh, but there are just a number of people in this world that just aren't going to turn to the Lord, and there's just nothing we can do about that. But uh, I just want everybody to know there is always hope, so long as you draw breath. And I guess the encouragement to you, if you're sitting here today because somebody dragged you to church and maybe church isn't your thing or God isn't your thing, I just want you to know you're not beyond hope. Like you've never sinned so greatly that God can't forgive you. And if anybody needs to hear that this morning, then may I be the mouthpiece of the Lord. Um, there's always forgiveness in Christ. I'm gonna make one comment though that I think is important. When I was going into ministry, somebody shared a verse with me from the book of James. It was James chapter three, verse one. And this is what was shared with me. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. That's, 
That's an eye-opening verse as you're heading into ministry. Uh, I would say also an eye-opening verse for anybody here that leads a Bible study or teaches a community group. So welcome to this reality. Uh, you should memorize James 3.1. It would be good for you. Um, and that's something that Hophni and Phinehas should have thought about. Uh, but of course, they did not know the Lord or care about that. Right, here's something else too I'm thinking about this. Like God is dropping this information on Samuel, who's a young boy. Like he's dropping the whole thing. Like I am bringing judgment. I'm going to wipe out Hophni and Phinehas. I'm going to destroy the household of Eli. Like there's a part of us that would pull back maybe and go like, God, should you be sharing all this stuff with this little kid? <laughs> I mean, maybe, maybe this is an adult worthy. Like this. And so here's something I'm thinking about as I think about Eli or Samuel, I'm sorry. Someone thinking about Samuel is God is serious about using Samuel right now. He's not waiting for Samuel to get to a point where, okay, now he's old enough. Like, He's not doing that. And here's what I'm, I'm learning through this, and I've, I've been learning this lesson for years. God doesn't care how old we are. He just cares about our heart. And so if you've got a five-year-old kid that wants to follow the Lord, then God is gonna do stuff in his life and through him. And if you've got an 80-year-old adult who's resistant to the Lord, God will ignore them. I mean, it's just, that's, he just cares about the heart. And so for the idea that God's dropping this whole thing on this kid, yeah, of course he is because he knows the kid's heart is inclined to him and he's not gonna hold back from him what he's doing. Which I think too, as a parent, might make you think if there's been portions of scripture you've been withholding from your children because you're like, I'm not sure they're old enough. They're probably old enough to hear about the Lord and how he works and all that he does. I uh, just offer that as something to think about. Um, but I see that as going on here. And it echoes something in my own life. Um, a few years ago, well, a number of years ago now, I'm just getting older, um, I was invited to teach a, a class at Ben Lippin just for one day. And I went into the classroom of a guy named uh, Jody Filoni, who's just a wonderful person. And uh, so I got into his classroom and I got a chance to teach and the kids were very responsive. It was a great moment. And after it was over, I made a comment to Jody about something like, you know, yeah, it's neat to see how God is, is preparing these kids for uh, the adult Christians that they will be one day. And uh, Jody stopped me. He's like, dude, you, like, you got that all wrong. And I was like, what do you mean? He's like, God's not preparing them for one day they'll be these good Christians. He's like, they're right now being used by God as young men and women who love the Lord. Like, he's doing it now. He's not preparing them to do it later. And I was like, oh, I was like, oh, good rebuke for the pastor. Like, this is, uh, God is working right now actively in their lives, and their faith is as vibrant and real as the faith of anybody any other age. And so, amen to that. Amen to that. So let's, let's see now how God begins to do this. Go to verse 15. So Samuel lay until morning, and then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord, and Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. Of course, because God just said, I'm going to wipe out his whole house. But Eli called Samuel, and he said to him, Samuel, my son. And he said, here I am. A little deja vu here. Uh, and Eli said, what was it that he told you? Do not hide it from me. May God do so to you and more also if you hide anything from me of all that he told you. What is, what did you just say, Eli? Like, did God tell you a judgment about me? If you don't tell me what he said, then I wish that judgment on you and more. Like, wow. What are you, eight? Come on, man. Like, what are you, this is not like, you're just trying to make this kid do this. And so I'm thinking about uh, Samuel there who's like, all right, if you want to hear it, you guys are destined for disaster. I mean, he is going to destroy your house. You guys are under severe judgment. And then Eli's response, I actually, in response to this, Eli's response is so wild. He goes, so uh, Eli says all this stuff to him. Then verse 18, so Samuel told him everything, hid nothing from him. And he said, it is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. Now, if you're Samuel, would you not have been like, 
what's happening here? Like, I, I've just had the weirdest night of my life, and then I'm sleeping on this information, which I barely got any sleep. Then I wake up, and you threaten my whole family and future that I don't even know that I'm going to have one day. And so then I tell it to you, and I'm thinking you're going to freak out, and instead you're like, God does what he does. And you're like, what is going on here? So here's what I love about this in the background going on. Samuel doesn't know what just happened to him. Samuel literally just became a prophet of God at like eight years old or however he is. What is a prophet? A prophet receives the word of the Lord and then they faithfully share the word of the Lord when they're supposed to. He received the word of the Lord. He goes to Eli. He shares the word of the Lord. And so in this moment, what you just saw was the passing of the leadership of Israel from Eli to Samuel. And if you're not careful, you didn't even notice it. But here he steps into the role of the prophet. And then actually, as you go on, this is what you see, verse 19. And Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fall to the ground, which means that the prophecies that he gave him, he did fulfill. And all Israel from Dan to Beersheba, which means the entirety of Israel, knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. And so now what you're going to see is this word of the Lord that was rare is going to become much more prolific because now God has a faithful man who will represent him. And through his man, God will now begin to speak and lead Israel again in a, in a very vibrant way. So there's a beautiful thing going on here. Now, again, as we look at this and we're thinking through this, one of the things we want to process is, and again, with uh, Old Testament narrative, what are principles we can draw from this? Now, I think there's a number of principles that apply to everybody. But since it's Mother's Day, let's talk about some mom principles here. So um, one of those is a reminder from chapter 2, verse 30. In chapter 2, verse 30, uh, we hear these words, and I'll, just, I'll go to the words that I want to highlight this morning. Those who honor me, I will honor. That's what the Lord says. Those who honor me, I will honor, regardless of age. Whether it's the faithful mom, whether it's the faithful kid, those who honor me, I will honor. Um, so in light of Mother's Day, just a reminder. The most beautiful thing is when the will of the Lord, the will of a godly mom, and the will of a child align. Unfortunately, mom, you can only handle one of those things. You can't handle the other. The other two are just out of your control. And so all you can do is focus on what you do. And what moms do is they teach, they coach, and they model. They teach, they coach, and they model. And so that's what you do. From, from the smallest age when you're getting your kids these little Bibles uh, that are like the early Bibles and you're reading those and you're praying with your kids at night to as they're growing up and maturing, making more difficult decisions, you're teaching, guiding, counseling, mentoring them uh, as they mature. That's what you do as a mom. That role never changes. Here's the thing. I don't even actually have to tell you to do that. It, it is just inherent to who you are. And in fact, I've noticed this, that even when your kids are mature, you can't shut it off. <laughs> just, you're always going to do that. No, listen, I'm a dad. That hadn't stopped either. So I get it. Uh, it's a natural part of you. But there is something I feel like, having been associated with a mom for years, that I need to share this morning. As a mom, at times, you're going to feel like you have blown it. So now let me give you some encouragement. You have. <laughs> yeah. I mean, listen, at some point you just got to realize you're human. Of course you've blown it. You've lost your mind. You said what you shouldn't. You disciplined wrongly or whatever. Yes, of course you did. The, here's what I think. The sooner you own that, the sooner you'll get out of this misunderstanding that you are God and can control your children. You've got to let that go. You can't. And, and this idea that you beat yourself up saying, my kid made a poor choice. If I had said this, if I had done something different, stop, stop. You're not God. Let's not pretend that we are. Let's just release it. Did you do the best you could with what God entrusted to you? Yes. Then release, release the rest. 
Let's live in the grace of God. And let's understand this too, that even when you mess up, you can never mess up so severely that you mess up God's will in your child's life. God will do what he wills when he wants. So just release yourself from that. Uh, also, here's another thing. Kids have to make a choice. I, I know you know this. Kids make a choice. So even if you're the best parent in the world and your kids turn out squirrely, they turn out squirrely. Uh, or let's just say from a young age, your kids have demonstrated faithfulness to the Lord. Then you feed that. You pour into that. You get them involved in church. You get them involved in the children's ministry. You get them involved in student ministry, whatever it is. Like you, you come alongside them, partner with them, and let's watch, watch what God does. And remind yourself of this. I'm not working on them so that one day they'll be who God wants them to be. I'm pouring into their life right now because right now God has a plan for who he wants them to be. That's what I want to feed. That's what I want to feed. Let me close with this, and I love this passage. Um, there's a, since we're in the Old Testament, I'll share with you one of my favorite Old Testament passages, Joshua 24, 15. So the setup here is Joshua is leading Israel. Israel continues to be frustrating, and at some point Joshua realizes, I can't control anybody else. I can't control uh, my neighbors. I can't control my friends. I can't control this community. So here's the deal. I, I'm, I'm giving up on trying to control everybody, and here's what I would say. If it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, then choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your father served and the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, which is the only thing I can control right now, we will serve the Lord. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for this reminder. Thank you for your goodness as well demonstrated to us uh, that whether we are our moms or dads who are struggling feeling like we're just never good enough, never making the right decisions, you know, like, Lord, please help us to release that and realize you've not called us to be perfect. You've only called us to be faithful. So may we be faithful what you've entrusted to us. Realize that it's Satan who wants to tear us down. It's our own insecurities that would destroy us. But if you were to get a word to us, you would just remind us, those who honor me, I will honor. In your holy name we pray, Lord. Amen.